Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm sorry. Uh, I apologize for not standing during the hymns. I, uh, I'm having issues with my knees. I've got double knee replacement coming up in July, which should be fun. And uh, <laughs> I apologize for not standing, but I appreciate so much the music. And uh, Brother Dave, thank you for pointing out that, that, that second or third verse. I can't remember which one it was now. Uh, what a great reminder. Sometimes, you know, I think we, we come to sing the songs and we just kind of go through the motions. Would you agree? And it's really wonderful to think about the words in the hymns that we sing. I'd like to do something to start with this morning. If you were in the drama last week, um, either as one of the actors, one of the choir, one of the stage crew, one of the sound Guys, would you just stand up for a minute, please? If you were in the drama last week, would you stand up? <clears throat> you all did an incredible job. You really did, and I really appreciate you, and I wanted to say that to you to start. You can, you can be seated. They're looking a little uncomfortable at this point. But uh, yes, praise the Lord. We had the privilege of um, going to a Good Friday uh, Good Friday evening, we uh, took a, deaf, a group of our deaf down to Maryland. Uh, the church that we had been in for 10 years does a huge, they call it the Living Cross every year. It's a drama, musical, acting, uh, similar to what you do. But they've got a, an orchestra and it's a large church. Uh, but you all, don't tell them I said this, but yours was 5,000 times better than theirs. The music was incredible. The drama was believable, and when I say that, I mean that as a really high compliment. Uh, I don't like to see people who do a drama in church that are trying to get the glory for themselves. That kind of defeats the whole purpose, and, uh, and you all did a, just a great job <clears throat> of each of you doing your part with the heart of the person, I felt, uh, the heart of the person whose part you were playing really in your heart. There were two incredible actresses that evening. I mentioned during, during Sunday school, the woman who portrayed the woman taken in adultery was phenomenal. <laughs> and there was a little girl in a green outfit that was, um, she stole the whole show. Uh, but uh, no, it was, it was really great to be here. Uh, we really appreciated the heart that you all put it on with. It was really a blessing to us. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. Uh, I, Pastor Walker had asked me a, a little while ago to, if I could speak today, and uh, I love the Easter time of the year. I have to, I, well, I love spring to start with. I love to see, and by the way, isn't it fitting that God brings those things that have been dead back to life in the spring, and we celebrate the resurrection of Christ at the same time. Uh, I love this time of the year. Even driving here today, you know, there's blossoms and blooms, and I don't know what all the other technical words are, but there's a lot of pretty colors, and it's just a beautiful time of the year. But I was thinking, after hearing uh, that pastor wanted me to preach today, I, was, I started to think about, and I love to do this, I love to imagine what would have been happening if, if Christ had raised from the dead a week ago. We celebrated Easter last week. If Christ had raised a week ago, what would have been happening today? And so I'd like to, this, the title of my message, it's not a real, I don't do good on titles, but my title is One Week Later. 
And I want you to consider, and my mind started running. I got to be honest. I started imagining, what was Pilate's wife doing one week later? And then I started thinking about, what was Barabbas doing one week later? What was Pilate doing one week later? Tradition tells us that Pilate uh, left the leadership role and eventually committed suicide. That's what tradition says. I don't know that that's true. But anyway, I started, uh, you know, imagining all these people I was going to present to you today. And then I thought to myself, hold on, Jim Bracelin. If I don't preach to you from the word of God, I am nothing more than a storyteller. And so I can't tell you what those people were doing because it's not in the Bible. But I want to show you four people, actually five people, who we can tell what was happening a week later. So we're going to do that this morning. Father, would you help us? We're opening this precious book that is the book of all the ages. This is a book that will last through eternity future. And God, I believe that when we get to heaven, we will learn from you what each word in this book meant. And God, we we look forward to that day. But for right now, we're limited by our sinful nature. We're limited by our human intellect. So God, I'm going to ask you to do a miracle today. Help us to understand the depths of these truths beyond what we can do on our own, beyond what is within our human capabilities. And God, I pray that you would work in a, in a powerful way in my own life. Help me to get a hold of the truths that are here in these verses. And God, I pray for these dear folks at Faith. I pray that you would uh, bring revival here. And Father, if there's a person in this room today that if this were a week after they had died, they would not be in heaven today. God, I pray they pay special attention. And I pray that you get a hold of their heart. Help me, Lord, not to get in your way. Help me to be yielded completely to your spirit so that you can do all that you want through me. And God, I pray that I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't say one thing in my flesh, but it would all be from you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Paul wrote here, and, and Pastor Lardy read it for us already, verses 3 through 8. Paul, I, I want to read it again with you. And I want you to notice in the fir- very first two verses, there's a common phrase. Verse 3 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. All right, I know you're a really bright crowd. So what is it that's repeated in verses 3 and 4? According to the Scriptures. I think Paul starts off, and by the way, I want you to catch this, because this is so vitally important to what we're doing. You ought to praise God that you're in a church that holds this book in high esteem. That is not true of every church. Some of you know that. Some of you have gone to some of those churches. I can remember when I was a teenager, I made a deal with my best friend who was not saved. I said, I'll go to your church if you come to my church. Have you ever done that? It worked. I went to his church. He came to my church. But I remember on the morning, I stayed overnight at his house Saturday night. We got up early Sunday morning to go to church. I grabbed my Bible. My best friend looked at me, and I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, what are you doing with that? I said, well, we're going to church. He said to me, you won't need that. And you know what? He was right. I carried my Bible in the church. I never opened it, and I carried it back out of that church. <clears throat> the pastor that Sunday morning preached on the Boeing 747. I don't know what that had to do with the Bible. Matter of fact, it had nothing to do with the Bible. 
But I want to tell you today, you're in a place where the word of God is held in high esteem. There's a reason for that. The writers of the New Testament held the word of God in high esteem. The writers of the New Testament constantly referred to the Old Testament. Let's go a little beyond that. You want more? You want better proof than that? Jesus Christ constantly quoted from the Old Testament in the Bible. What does that say to you and me? If the word of God is good enough for our Savior, it ought to be good enough for us. Amen? So listen to me. God has blessed us to have a copy of this precious book in our own language. Matter of fact, if you're like me, you've got multiple copies. Uh, I've, I've got a, I love Bibles. I've been able to... I have my mother's Bible. My mom's in heaven. I have my dad's mom's Bible. She's in heaven. I have my mother's mother's Bible. She's in heaven. And my grandfather's Bible. He's in heaven. I, I collect Bibles. I love to look through them. I love to go through every now and then. I'll just open one of those Bibles... And I'll look at what they wrote on the, in the margins of their Bible just to see what God touched their heart with. Suffice it to say, Paul is saying, what I'm about to tell you is from the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, as he writes that, and he, he's, he's going to tell us, of course he says in verses 3 and 4, that he's telling us what we consider to be the gospel, right? The good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Paul says these are things that are from the scriptures. He may have been referring back to uh, Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, where David had written about the resurrection of Christ. Uh, Luke writes that in the book of Luke, or I'm sorry, the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 29 to 32. He quotes Psalm 16 in reference to the resurrection of Christ. We know that, that God's resurre- the resurrection of the Messiah was not a mystery to the Jew. It was, it's all through the pages of the Old Testament. But we see, he goes on from there. Let me not get caught up on that. But going on in verse 4, and he was buried, it says, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he begins to list eyewitnesses, he says, and he was seen of Cephas. We know that to be whom? Peter, Correct. He was seen of Peter. He was seen of the twelve. After that, verse 6, he was seen. I love this verse. If you ever want to mark a verse in your Bible, this is a good one to mark. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Paul says this. By the way, this book of 1 Corinthians, written to the church in Corinth, Paul's writing a defense of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, this, this entire chapter is incredible. It's, it'd be great reading for you later today. Uh, don't do it during my message, but you can do it later. But Paul makes this statement. If you, if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, you have no hope of salvation. By the way, that's still true today. May I say to you today, there's a lot of preachers who will say, all you have to do is believe on Jesus. I'm sorry, that's not true. You need to believe on Jesus, that he died for you, that he was buried for you, and that he rose from the grave for you. Without the resurrection of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. The, the, the death of Christ paid the debt for sins, but the resurrection of Christ bought eternal life for us. We, we need the resurrection, and Paul makes that, that case here. But in, in, this, in this sixth verse, he says, listen, if you doubt my words to you, there are more than 500 people that Jesus appeared to at one time. There must have been a group, a gathering of, of 500. I don't know how many is here today, but I don't think we have 500. Let's assume that we packed every seat in here. Does this building hold 500? Okay. 
So if we packed every seat in here, Jesus appeared to that many people at one time. And Paul says many of those people are still alive. If you want to check them out, I'll tell you who they are. You can go and ask them. Those people would have been able to say, yes, you've heard of the resurrection, but I have seen the resurrected Son of God. I saw the nail prints in His hand. They would be unmistakable. I've seen the nail prints in His feet, and I've touched Him. I've had something to eat with Him. I've had a drink with Him. He is a real human being. Jehovah Witnesses tell people today that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but it was His ghost that rose from the dead not his body. Hey, they're wrong. These 500 people would tell them that they were wrong. He names, he names again James in verse 7, and then all of the apostles. And last of all, verse 8, he says, I got to see Jesus alive after the resurrection. Now, Paul's, uh, he got to see Jesus where? On the road to Damascus. A religious zealot he was. He was going to kill Christians. He was going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And he got his trip interrupted when Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus. So he saw Jesus alive after the dead. You know, this is what the Bible says. And I know what skeptics will say. By the way, I preached in prison not too long ago. And one of the women that I was preaching to made this statement. Well, they wrote all those things in there because they're, they, you know, they're just making up the story to agree with the story. And I, she said, she made the comment, I'm a skeptic. If you're a skeptic here today, let me say this. There's a man named uh, Flavius Josephus. He's a first century uh, historian, a Jewish historian. He lived from about 37 A.D. to about 100 A.D. He ended up, uh, he was a, a Jewish man, but he ended up becoming a Roman citizen. And he was a historian of, of some note at that time. It's not believed that Josephus ever trusted Christ or became a believer But Josephus wrote these words. He said, At this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. That's an understatement. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. Now listen to these words. These are words from a Jewish historian, not necessarily a believer. And those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. That means something. Do you catch what that means? Uh, Josephus says, hey, listen, the people who followed him, they didn't give up their discipleship. I watched some of them be burned at the stake. I watched some of them be beheaded in Rome. I watched some of them being thrown in the Colosseums to to the lions, and they would not recant their faith. The disciples of this man never gave up their discipleship. He goes on to say, they reported that he had appeared to them, Jesus that is, appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets had recounted wonders. Now let me say this to you. We don't need Flavius Josephus' words to believe Jesus rose from the dead. You with me? But it's nice when somebody who's not a believer attests to the fact that the resurrection actually happened. So let's consider, let's go back there 2,000 years ago. And let's, let's go, if we're thinking about this would be the day one week after the resurrection, let's go back to the resurrection on last Sunday. But let's go back just a few days before that to the crucifixion. Let's go back just a few days before that to what? The triumphal entry. You saw it coming in here last Sunday, uh, the triumphal entry. You know what amazes me? 
One week before the resurrection of Christ, one week before, Hosanna, son of David, was being cried as Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the donkey. Four days later, some of the same people were yelling, crucify him. I can't figure that out except to say that that's us human beings. We're very fickle people. Jesus is crucified, I believe, on the Wednesday. On Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday, last week, he rises from the dead. And we've gone a whole week in between now, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But I want to take you back to that cross. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. I want you to see some people, uh, the effect of the cross on people one week later. So Mark chapter 15, if you would. This is Mark's account of the crucifixion of Christ. He includes an event that took place. He includes some detail that the other gospel writers did not include. uh, But his story is the same. He's he's recounting the story of Christ. I want you to see the story. Jesus Christ has already been on trial with Pilate. He's been scourged. And now he's on his way up to Calvary, to Golgotha, the place of the skull. He's on his way, and, and, and Jesus, along that way, he's already been scourged to the point where, can, may I say to you, most men would have died during the scourging. But Jesus, I've said this in here before, Jesus was no little wimpy man like he's portrayed so many times. He was a man's man. He never uh, abused his body. He was physically fit. As he's, He survived the scourging because, listen, he had to get to the cross. He had to get to the cross, or Psalm 22 would be a, a, foul, a, fault, a faulty chapter in our Bibles. So Jesus Christ, on his way up that hill, he falls under the weight of the cross. It's an agonizing scene for me to consider. That the price of my sin cost Christ such a physical debt that he paid for me. But he, he collapses under the cross. And it says in verse 21, Mark chapter 15, and they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian. By the way, that's, uh, he's from Africa. This is a man who's come to, he's come to Jerusalem for Passover. He's come here, as many Jews would, because it's that one time of the year when the Jews all leave wherever they are to return to Jerusalem for the feast. He comes back there, and it says that they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by. Please notice that. Simon was not there to behold the spectacle. He was not aware necessarily of the the conflict that was going on between the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, and Jesus. He doesn't know about all that political uproar. He's just there for the, the Passover, and he just happens to be passing by. Now, I want you to catch this. This is important. In the plan of God, you don't just happen to do anything. God has a plan. God's will is so specific for your life. He's got his finger on your life so much so that he drew you to sit exactly in the seat you're sitting in right now. He got me to come here today to preach to you, and he touched my heart with this message. I believe that with the bottom of my shoes. If you're here today, it's not an accident. Simon the Cyrenian wasn't just passing by coincidentally. God has a plan, and I'm going to show you what I think it is. It says there, he was coming out of the country. Uh, Let me go back. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country. And it just notice, it just says as a side note, he is the father 
of Alexander and Rufus to bear the cross. So Simon, uh, minding his own business, has come from Cyrene. He's got his two sons with him. What are their names? Alexander and Rufus. Why are their names here in Scripture? Well, it just so happens. No, God has a purpose and a plan, and I want to show it to you. But I want you to notice, Mark is the only one who names these two sons. In the other accounts, the Bible tells us a man, was, a man carried the cross for Christ the rest of the way up. In Mark's account, he lets us know it's a man named Simon. He lets us know where he's from. And he tells us his two sons' names, Alexander and Rufus. Now, please stay with me because I think this is really important. Can you imagine being Simon? You're minding your own business. You're in Jerusalem. You're not there to watch somebody uh, grotesquely murdered. You're there for a feast. You're there for the celebration. You're there for the parades. You're there for the, all the things that would be for sale that you can't find in your country. You're there for pleasure and fun and entertainment. And all of a sudden, you hear this uproar as you're walking through the city. This, the streets in Jerusalem you'll notice even to this day, are very narrow. I can picture them being very similar in that day. As, the, as Jesus Christ was coming up the street, the street would have been lined on both sides. Instead of people yelling, Hosanna to the Son of David, they're not yelling that anymore. They're cursing. They're spitting. They're, they're, they're outraged. They're, they're condemning Jesus Christ, as it were. And Simon is kind of confused all of a sudden. The man with the cross gets near to him and he collapses. There's Jesus. By the way, he doesn't know who he is. But there he is and he collapses. I can just see a a soldier roughly grabbing Simon and saying, carry the cross. By the way, you don't argue with the Romans. You don't argue with them. Because they'll kill you just as easy as to look at you. Simon leaves his two boys, Alexander and Rufus. I don't know how old Alexander and Rufus are. I picture them being little guys, but they may not have been. They may have been teenagers. They might have been 20-year-old adults. But there are his two sons. They see their father take up the cross and carry it the rest of the way up the hill. As they get to the place at the top of Golgotha there, and if you ever get a chance, I see you got a trip going in 2020. When you see the place, you will be able to picture this in your mind, this actually happening. As they take Jesus to that place, Simon is relieved of his duties. He returns to his two sons. I'm sure he looks for them. He finds them. By now, they have followed the crowd, I'm sure, because their dad is there. Are you with me? Are you all with me? They follow their dad. They get to the place of the crucifixion. As their dad comes back to meet them, maybe Alexander says, Hey, Dad, you have blood all over you. Jesus Christ had had the, the... The crown of thorns placed on his head. His back has been whipped to the point I don't even want to describe to you. It's too grotesque. The blood of the Lamb of God was on the clothing of Simon. His son saw it. Do you think it made an impression on those boys? Well, let's go see what they might have been doing a week later. Now, I don't know what a week later, but this is probably a a lot later. Turn, if you would, with me to the book of Acts, chapter 19. Acts, chapter 19, we're going to fast forward, not just a week, but a number of days ahead. But I can't say, the title of my message can't be a number of months ahead. So we're we're just going to go with a week ahead, all right? Just give me a little bit of grace there, if you would. 
But in Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus. And Paul, you know, he's gotten saved. He was Saul, now he's Paul. He has seen the risen Savior. He's the one who wrote 1 Corinthians 15. He's created such a stir because he has gone from a a religious zealot to a 100% believer in Jesus Christ. And he's, he's created such an uproar in Ephesus that the goddess Diana is taking a hit. Uh, the guys who are the silversmiths that make the little icons that they sell to this day in Israel, uh, their, their business is going down the tubes. And so they complain. And they're getting ready to really create a ruckus uh, with, with Paul. But I want you to notice what happens. Look, at, if you would, it says in verse, uh, let's go to verse 31. With, if you, well, no, I'm sorry, go to verse 30. Acts chapter 19, verse 30. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people... The disciples suffered him not, verse 31, and certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. So his friends say to Paul, Paul, don't go in there. Uh, It's an uproarious situation. Uh, We don't want you to get hurt. Verse 32, some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. Look at verse 33. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with his hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one, one voice about the space of two hours, cried out, and they cry out, Great is Diana, the goddess. Who do we catch in verse 33 but Alexander? Now, I won't tell you, I'm not going to be foolish enough to say with 100% confirmation, this is the Alexander who was at the cross. There were a number of Alexanders throughout the New Testament. But I like to think that this is Simon's son, one of those who was getting ready to stand to defend Paul when he was shouted down by those who were opposed. Turn, if you would, in your Bible to Romans chapter 16, just a few pages further into your Bible. Romans chapter 16, the very last chapter of this this book uh, that Paul wrote, this doctrinally rich book. As he comes to the close of the book, he's, he, he begins to say, hey, make sure you say hello to, you know, he always does that at the end of his books. I want you to see, I'm just going to go right to the verse. Look at verse 13. He says he's going through salute this person to that. Look at verse 13. Salute Rufus, chosen of the Lord and his mother and mine. If you go back to Mark And you don't have to go back there. But if you'll go back in your mind's eye to Mark chapter 15. Remember I said to you, why would Mark put the two names of these guys in that book? Because I believe the disciples knew Alexander and Rufus. Uh, they They would have stood there with their father at that cross, looking up at Jesus Christ in agony. They would have heard him cry out. Now, by the way, again, they might, they would, I'm surely they would have started saying, who is this guy? Why is he here? We're from Cyrene. We don't know what's going on here. Why is this man being crucified? And why are the people in such an uproar? And some would say, oh, he says he's the son of God. Really? And from the cross, they would have heard Jesus cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They would have seen the love of Jesus Christ for the sins of the world that day. I promise you that if I were Alexander, Rufus, or Simon... 
when I had heard that that man whose blood was on my clothing, when I heard one week or three days later that he had risen from the dead, I don't know about you, but I might have been in that 500 group. I would have wanted to see with my own eyes. I don't know about you. I would have given up everything I had to be in that room when, with the 500 when he, when he was seen. Suffice it to say, Jesus Christ's death made a difference in the lives of Alexander and Rufus. Let me get you to go back to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Turn fast. My time is going quickly. And by the way, who was, uh, who was the repentant thief in the drama? Are you in the room today? Where is he? Is he here? I don't see him anywhere. That guy, I don't know who that guy is, but he was really good. I was convinced he was a scoundrel. <laughs> anyway, Matthew chapter 27. We find the account uh, in Matthew. And we're going to go to Luke 23 as well very briefly. But in verse 38, the Bible says, and, and again, I'm just jumping some of the story. Jesus has been crucified. It says in verse 38, then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left, verse 39. And they, they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. By the way, if you were in Jerusalem today and you'd see the place where I believe Golgotha is, it's still there today. Just under that, today in Israel, is the northern wall of the city of Jerusalem. There's a bus station there today. As you stand in that area, you'll smell the diesel uh, fumes, and it's a noisy, busy area. I think it wasn't much different. Obviously, there were no buses, but not much different in that day. It was a public trans. It was the, the path out of Jerusalem on the northern side went right by Golgotha. So as these people are walking by, they're wagging their heads, verse 40, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, verse 42, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the Son of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. By the way, they were lying. They wouldn't have believed him. He'd done miracles. He'd raised Lazarus from the dead. They knew that was true. They hadn't believed that. Let's keep going. Verse 43. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he, will, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Now look, in verse 44 is a verse I want you to see. The thieves also, notice it says thieves both, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. These two thieves are hanging next to Jesus Christ. We don't know a whole lot about them, but we know one thing. They deserved what they were getting. They were robbers. The Bible tells us in in one of the other Gospels they had murdered someone. Probably their leader was Barabbas. I'm guessing. Because when Jesus was crucified on that day, it was probably Barabbas' turn. He was the one set free. They're, They're scoundrels. They're no good. They're, they're in it for themselves. All they want is what they can get out of it. And we know that's true. Um, if, you'll drop, if you'll go to Luke chapter 23 with me, I want you to see one more passage. I promise uh, this will be it. Luke chapter 23. I want you to see uh, what happens in Luke's account. I, I like Matthew giving us that last verse that the thieves, both of them, 
were mocking Jesus Christ. But if you get to Luke chapter 23, look at verse 39. I believe some time has taken place between uh, what Matthew recorded in Matthew 27 and what Luke records here in, verse tw- in chapter 23. But look at verse 39. It says, And one of the male factors which hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, I love this guy, save thyself and us. Again, he's in it for himself. He's only in it for what he can get out of it. Can I tell you, there's a ton of people in church today that are only went to church for what they can get out of it for themselves. They don't care about Jesus Christ. They don't care about God. They don't care about the Word of God. They're going to church today because they think if they go to church, that's going to give them a mark so they can get to heaven one day. They're just like this guy. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. It goes on, verse 40. Notice the first word in verse 40. What is it? But. Or what, what's your Bible say? But. Do you have but in there? Okay, but. Contrast. But the other answering, the other thief answering him say, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Hey, what a simple statement. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. But what was he actually saying? He was really saying, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you are going to enter your kingdom. I believe it with all of my heart. When you enter, would you just remember me? Isn't that a great thought? He didn't say, he didn't say will you take me with you? Did he? The other thief said, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. This guy doesn't say anything about him himself. He says, listen, when you get to your kingdom, would you just remember me? What a great thought. Somewhere between Matthew 27, 44 and Luke 23, 42, this thief has gone from just a common thief to a repentant sinner. We call him the repentant thief. At least I do. He saw his need. He saw Jesus Christ as the answer to his need. And he says, would you remember me? Now, let me cut to the chase. The bottom line is that one week after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one week later, Alexander and Rufus were on their way to becoming followers of Jesus Christ. One week. Please stay with me. One week after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the unrepentant thief had been burning in hell for over 170 hours. And the repentant thief had been enjoying heaven for 160, 170 hours. Today, 2,000 years later, that thief is still in torment in hell. And this thief is still in heaven. What made the difference? What made the difference in Rufus and Alexander? What made the difference in the repentant thief and the unrepentant thief? There's only one thing that makes a difference. And that's who you decide you will trust. That man decided he would trust himself. Can I say this to you today? This thief who was over here had just as much opportunity to go to heaven... As the thief on the other side, did he not? He could have been saved too, couldn't he? 
the grace, the mercy that Jesus showed to that repentant thief, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Man, those words. What incredible words. I'm sure that thief said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, 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 I could have sworn you just said to me that I'm going to be with you in the kingdom. By the way, Jesus doesn't have to repeat himself because what he says, he means. And I promise you that that day, that man was in paradise. And the day Jesus Christ stepped into heaven three days later, after he had risen from the dead, he took, remember he told Mary Magdalene, don't touch me yet. I've not yet been to my father. He had to take his blood there to heaven because what, what happened then? All, all the gates for all the Old Testament saints had ever been saved before Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, stepped into heaven. Guess who was with him? That thief. Can I say this to you today? This thief had earned what he was getting at the crucifixion. You see, the wages for his sin was death. He was paying his debt. The wages of that thief's sin were death also. He was paying his debt. These two men were getting what they deserved, according to this man's testimony. We get, we're getting what we've earned. This man's been condemned. He's done nothing wrong. Jesus Christ was not dying for the sins he had committed. He was dying for the sins they had committed. He was dying for the sins you and I have committed. Hey, I want to tell you today, if I, if I could, well, I'm going to, I'm going to beg you. I'm going to beg you to consider what you have done with what Jesus has done for you. You've got a choice to make. It's so clear. It's right here in the pages of Scripture. You've got a choice to make. You can be this thief who says, you know what? I'll pay the price myself. I don't believe in him. That's your choice. You can come here to Faith Baptist Church today. You can hear me preach what I'm preaching to you. I can beg you to trust Jesus Christ and you can walk out those doors having not received Christ. That is your choice. If I could, I would put you on the floor, put my foot on your neck and make you get saved. I can't do that. I can't do that. It's your choice. You, got, you can go out like this guy. But you can also do what this man did. Did he deserve the mercy of God? Say it with me. Did he deserve the mercy of God? No, I would say no way, Jose. He did not deserve the mercy of God. Did he get the mercy of God? He got all of it. For God so loved the world, say it with me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hey, you can make that choice today. Here's what I want to do. I'm not trying to scare you, but again, if I could scare you, I would. But I'm going to tell you the absolute truth today, and it should scare you. If you choose to leave this place without Jesus Christ, you will know the torments of hell like that man has known for 2,000 years. And you know the saddest thing in all the world is for the last 2,000 years, all this man has been able to think about, all he's been able to think about for every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every year, of every 1,000 years he's been in hell, all he can think about is Jesus. 
dying for his sins. I'm not trying to scare you or threaten you, but I would like you to think about that. Can I say to you, I'm so glad for this guy over here. By the way, there's a lot of people I'm looking forward to meeting in heaven. I can't wait to meet this guy. Oh, he's got no stories about what he did for Christ. He wasted his whole life, but he did make a good choice to receive Christ as Savior. He'll be there. He's going to be there the same as you and I. He won't have a crown to cast at Jesus' feet because he didn't get to do anything for God. But he'll be there. I want to meet him. But I bet he's going to say to me, hey, I've been waiting for you to get here. Tell me what it was like to get saved when you were six and live your whole life for Christ. Tell me about it. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean I live perfectly for Christ. But tell me what it's like to get saved when you're six and be able to live for God. He'll be excited to meet us. By the way, I hope we have some stories to tell him. Where are you today? Bow your heads with me if you would. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to encourage you today to consider this question. Not where will you be one week after the resurrection, because we know it's a whole lot longer after the resurrection than one week. But may I ask you this question? Where will you be one week after you have drawn your last breath on this earth? Where will you be? You say, Jim, I don't believe all that about heaven and hell. I don't believe. I think God's good and he's going to let everybody go into heaven. Well, you have not read your Bible. I want to tell you, I'm not trying to be cruel, but I am trying to be blunt. The Bible says there is only one way into heaven. Jesus said it this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you're here today and you have never taken the time to recognize before God, number one, that you're a sinner. Number two, that that sin you have committed cannot enter into heaven. You cannot take sin into heaven. It would no longer be perfect. That sin has to be taken care of. God did that on the cross when Jesus died in your place. You have to recognize Jesus was perfect, as Pastor Lardy prayed earlier today, that Jesus was perfect and that he died in your place, that he was buried and that he rose from the grave. And the last thing you have to do, just like that thief did, you have to ask for it. You see, God's already purchased forgiveness for your sin, but he will not force it on you. You have to receive it as a gift for yourself. If you're here today and you say, Brother Jim, if I died right now, if I died a week ago, I don't know that I would be in heaven. I think I might be in hell. I would like to know that I'm going to be in heaven. Here's what I'd like you to do right now. I'm just going to share with you what the Bible says a person must do. The Bible says you have to call upon the name of the Lord. So let's, let me give you that chance. If you're here today, you say, Jim, I've never done that. If I died right now, I would be in hell. But I want to make sure that I'd be in heaven. I believe what you just said. I want that for myself. Would you pray a simple prayer right where you're at? You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. Say something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that my sin will not be allowed in heaven. I believe my sin separates me from a holy, righteous God. I believe you sent your son, Jesus Christ, without sin, to die in my place for my sin. I believe he took my sin on himself on the cross. I believe he died in my place, was buried, but I believe he rose from the grave three days later. And I believe he offers that resurrected life as a gift to me for forgiveness of my sin. I will trust Jesus Christ and only him 
to get me into heaven. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you prayed that simple prayer with me this morning, you say, Jim, I prayed with you and I really meant business. Would you just raise your hand real quick all around the room? Thank you. Anybody else? I prayed with you. Anybody else? I'll wait just a moment. This is an important decision. Anybody on the balcony? Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else? I prayed with you and I meant business. Is there anyone else? I'll wait just a moment. Christian, heads bowed and eyes closed. Christian, I want to talk to you for just a moment too. Alexander and Rufus were found in the assembly of believers years after Christ's resurrection. Some of us need to determine that we will use our lives and be faithful to God until the Lord comes back for us. Christian, I want to encourage you. The price that was paid for your sin was incredible. But the price of giving your life for Christ is even a greater choice that you have to make. Will you give your life to Jesus so he can draw others to himself? I pray that you'll make that commitment even now. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these folks, Lord. I thank you for this, these two thieves. They're great pictures for us. I'm sorry for the unrepentant thief. I'm sorry that he had to go suffer in hell when there was no reason for that. The Savior was dying for him. Thank you for the repentant thief who recognized before it was too late, even moments before it was too late. He recognized Christ as his Messiah and received Jesus as his Savior. Thank you for this picture. Lord, help us as we leave here today to go out of here realizing the message we have of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, this gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the good news. And Lord, help us not to be guilty of holding the good news to ourselves and not sharing it with somebody. Help us to share it with a waitress today, with somebody at a Wawa, with somebody in our family, with our neighbor, with somebody we go to school with. God, help us to be proactive in telling others about Jesus Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.